Psalm 31. And any little children that are going down, uh, you can go down now. Just give you a moment to find Psalm 31. <clears throat> the title of this psalm in my Bible says, The Lord, a fortress in adversity. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Verse 1. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on their Side, fears on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of, the of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion. From the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. O oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repay, repays the proud person. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Amen. Amen. One of the biggest concerns that we have as human beings is about our future. We either seem to wonder about our future or worry about our future or both. 
about this time of the year, A-level students are wondering and perhaps even worrying about their job prospects or for their career opportunities. Whenever we grow old, we wonder and sometimes many worry about how can we make it? What would we do if we had to be on our own? Could we manage? And so people are concerned about their future. People wonder and worry about what they see on their televisions every day in the news. What about the global recession? How will it affect my future lifestyle? What about my pension? Will it be hit? Will my savings be lost? Will I have to work longer and harder before I'm ever retired and get a pension? All of these things that people be concerned about. What kind of world will our children inherit? Doesn't seem to be getting any better, does it? So these things we wonder about. Of course, many people wonder and some worry about the next life. What about the next life? Is there a next life? And if there is, what would it be like? Where will I be if there is a next life? Millions of people the world over read horoscopes, tarot cards, palm readings, go to seances, all because they're concerned about their future, what's going to be out there ahead of them. What about you today? What about me? What about your future? Are you confident? Do you feel secure about it? Or are you concerned? Do you believe that your future is actually in God's hands? Do you believe that God is in control of your future? That every tomorrow that you may have, that God will be there before you get there? That God has your future actually in His hand? Or are you looking out into your future with some anxiety, worry, or maybe a little fear, or even some dread? Or are you saying, well, I may not know what my future holds, but praise God, I know who holds my future. Everybody, in that sense, we're no different than anybody else because we don't know what our future holds. But what makes us different is we know who holds our future. And we never, you know, that God has got your future in His hand, then it makes such a difference. It gives us confidence. It makes us feel secure knowing that God is already working on our behalf for our future. His plans are already made for us, thank God. Now, Psalm 31 is a beautiful psalm. It's a much-loved psalm. It's a psalm that both prophets Jeremiah and Jonah quoted from. It's also a psalm that was very precious to Jesus. In fact, the crowning glory of this psalm is that Jesus quoted it from the cross. Did you notice verse 5? Into your hands I commit my spirit. So this is a psalm that Jesus was very, very familiar with. It was so familiar and so precious that in the horrors of the cross, 
this was one of the scriptures that came up from his heart that he quoted that he spoke to the Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. But actually it's verse 15 that I want to direct your attention to. Where the psalmist says, Into your hands... Sorry, the psalmist says, My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. This psalm speaks of the ups and downs of David's life, the trials, the triumphs, all the stuff that life threw at him. And in the midst of all of that, he says, I know one thing, God. My times are in your hands. And that's what makes the difference to us today. We don't know what's out there. We have no idea. We didn't know the last six weeks what we would be doing. We had other plans. We had things to do. We want to do lots of things with the family and go places and do stuff. None of that happened. But in the midst of all of that, we were glad that we were in God's hands. And we're glad little baby knows in God's hands today. My times in his hands. Missionary to Africa, Dan Crawford, <clears throat> once said that if he had to translate that verse into the native language, he'd have to translate it this way. You'd have to say, all of my life's ways and whens and wheres and wherefores are in God's hands. That's a good way of putting it, isn't it? All of my ways and whens and wherefores are in God's hands. <clears throat> Excuse me. All of us have moments. All of us has times. and All of us has circumstances and happenings and crises and and trouble that comes unexpectedly. That's life. All of us have that. We're, none of us are exempt from that. But aren't you glad that your life is not in the hands of the devil today? Huh. Aren't you glad that your life is not in the hands of men today? In fact, a lot of the times it's not even in our hands. It's in God's hands. And so that's what I want to remind you about this morning. That our life is in God's hands. Not the devil's hands. You remember Job? You remember when the first chapter of the book of Job? In verse 6 it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord... And Satan also came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, From whence do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Have you not made a hedge about him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Limitation, a restriction. Even though God gave permission, and Satan had to get permission from God to attack Job, and God gave the permission, but with limitation and with restriction. And he went out, and you know the story, and how that he caused all kinds of havoc to happen, and Job lost all of his livestock, and he lost his sons, and he lost his daughters. And in chapter 2, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God, shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Now that sounds almost contradictory to what I had just been saying to you, that we're in God's hands. And here God said to Satan, He is in your hand, but save his life. So even in those rare occasions, even if God was to permit the enemy of her soul, even for a short period, to be allowed to be put into his hand, yet overall, ultimately, we're still in God's hands because there was a limit and a restriction to how far he could go and to what he could do. So even the very worst scenario, and that's why I read that, because it's the worst scenario, still, we're still in God's big hand. Overall, ultimately, God has got the final say, has he not? Do you remember in Luke chapter 22, how that Jesus, speaking to Peter, Simon Peter, <clears throat> verse 31, And the Lord said, <clears throat> excuse me, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. <clears throat> Satan has asked for you 
that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. In Matthew chapter 3, it's interesting. John the Baptist, speaking about Christ. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit on fire. Note this, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The winnowing process was absolutely necessary to separate the chaff from the wheat. In those two scriptures, we see two winnowings, two separations of the chaff and wheat, one by Satan and one by the Lord himself. But Satan wanted to sift Peter as wheat. What to do? To leave only the chaff. To leave only the worthless and the useless and the unproductive and to destroy the wheat. Jesus came to separate the wheat from the chaff to destroy the chaff and leave only the wheat. Leave only the finest grain. To take out of our lives all that which is worthless and useless and unproductive and to leave only that which is pure and good and wholesome and right. And you know, they would, they would take that grain and they would thresh it and then they would stick like, I suppose we would call it a pitchfork and they would throw it up into the wind and as the wind blew through it, it would separate the wheat from the chaff. And John the Baptist says, when Jesus would come, he had filled us with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when the wind of the Holy Spirit blows through our life, the idea is to blow out of our lives all of that chaff, all of that which is useless and unproductive and not good for us and not wholesome and healthy for us and to leave only the good stuff and to burn up the chaff. Satan wants to come to our lives and bring wreck and ruin and destruction and to bring death and destroy. He says to steal, kill, and destroy and leave only the chaff. So many times you see a life that has been ruined, haven't you? You see only the chaff that's left. The good has been taken away. But Christ comes to take out the bad and leave the good. So thank God our future is not in the devil's hands. In verse 7 and 8 of that chapter of Psalm 31, it says, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble, you have known my soul in adversities, and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy, but you have set my feet in a wide place. 
thank God today we're in His hands, not the devil's. Thank God we're in His hands, not man's. In verse 4, chapter 31, Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. In verse 13, 14, For I hear the slander of many, fears on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, for you are my God. Verse 18, Let the lion lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Often it seems like that we're at the mercy of men, that we're in men's hands, and there's nothing we can do. Joseph's brothers thought that Joseph was at their mercy. He was in their hands. After all, there was 11 of them. There's only one of him. And after all, he was the runt. What could he do? So let us put him in the pit. Let's pretend the wild beast has killed him. No, a better idea than that. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. He's in our hands. We can do what we like with him. We can kill him. We can sell him. They can make merchandise. He's within our hands. But they didn't know he was in God's hands. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Potiphar thought he was in his hands, didn't he? I mean, he was the captain of Pharaoh's prison. This was where the political prisoners was kept. This was the top prison of the land. And he was the head of it. He was the governor. He was a captain. What could Joseph do? If he wanted to lock him up, that's... All he had to do was lock him up. He was in his hands. Or was he? No, he was in God's hands. It's part of God's plan. Was he in the butler's hands when the butler suddenly remembered somebody who could interpret the dream and says, Pharaoh, I know a slave in prison who can interpret your dream. Seemed like he was in his hands. No, he was in God's hands. All along the way, it seemed like he was in the hands of men, but he was in the hands of God. And there's going to be times in your life and my life when it will seem to be we're in the hands of men. Maybe the bank manager, maybe the solicitor, maybe the doctor, maybe the judge. And we seem to be at their mercy. But actually, if you can remember, no, we're in God's hands. We are in God's hands. In Acts chapter 21... Verse 10, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For am I not ready? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
So when we could, you could not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. See, in chapter 20, previous chapter, Paul said in verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul knew that everywhere he went, it would seem like on the surface that he was going to be at the mercy of man. And true enough, everywhere he went, there was either a riot, others a revival, or both. Every city, every town he went, somebody raised up against him and came against him again and again and again. Paul later on says, the messenger of Satan buffeted me. I mean, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was jailed, he was everything that possibly could happen. So it would seem like he was at the mercy of men, he was in men's hands, but actually he wasn't. And he says, why are you crying? He says, I'm ready to die for Jesus. I'm not in their hands. I'm in God's hands. In fact, he always called himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Never a prisoner of Rome. Always the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He knew whose hands he was in. In fact, even the next chapter, which we'll not read, there was a conspiracy against him. They wanted to kill him. Forty Jews bound themselves together and says, we will neither eat nor drink until we kill Paul. 40 of them. And it would seem like they were going to get their wish. They had all planned and plotted out, except they were overheard. And Paul escaped out of their clutches. You see, it may seem like you're in man's hands, but actually you're in God's hands. And John 19, you don't need to turn to it. You know it well enough. In John 19, Jesus standing before Pilate. And Jesus, he just stopped speaking to him. And that kind of irked Pilate. Now, Pilate was a, a governor with great power. He was a brutal man. A man with no compunction about killing whatsoever. A man who knew he had the power of the sword. And he said to Jesus, do you not know that I have the power to crucify you? Do you not know that I have the power of the sword? Do you not know that I can just speak and your life would be gone? Remember what Jesus said? You would have no power over me at all except it was given from above. That's a polite way of saying, hey, I'm not in your hands. I'm in my Father's hands. And you can't do anything to me except you get permission from the Father. <laughs> But do we believe that? Do we understand that? Do we really truly believe that we are in God's hands? Even on those occasions when it seems like you're at the mercy of men. Now we've got to trust people. We've got to trust professionals. We've got to trust those that uh, are above us. Those that we have to work with and deal with and commerce with and trade with. We've got to trust them to a large degree. And to that degree we're in their hands but we're not at their mercy because we're in the hands of God. 
Can you say amen to that? What about our own hands? My time's in his hands. See, that's very profound. This has caused great debate in the church since time immemorial. The idea of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility cannot come together. Can it be? I believe, yes, it can be. But it's a tough nut to crack. The arguments has raised for centuries over the idea that we as human beings have got some power in our own lives that we can make choices and decisions and have opinions and God will allow those and yet still be sovereign at the same time. Mysterious as that is, it is. God, even in his great sovereignty, allows us to make decisions and choices, have our opinions, choose to do this, choose to do that, and yet still be sovereign. Who can explain that? Who can even understand all of that? Nobody. But God is God. And this is why it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If we are humble enough and if we're smart enough to say, God, you've given me a brain, you've given me understanding, you've given me wisdom, you've given me knowledge, you expect me to make decisions and choices in this life and I'll do that, but you're sovereign and I'm going to ask you to guide my steps. Help me make the right choices and make the right decisions. Most of our messes is because we haven't made the right choices and decisions. And most of us have made a mess of something, haven't we? And if we had to ask God for his wisdom, if we had to make the right choices and the right decisions, that would have gone better, wouldn't it? And so here's God, this great, sovereign, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, ruler of heaven and earth. And he says, go ahead. Make a choice. Make a decision. But ask me to guide you. Ask me for wisdom. Ask me to help you. Because the steps of a good man or a good woman are ordered by the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and what he will direct your path. It doesn't say don't use your understanding. Don't lean on it. Don't make it the be all and end all because that's what the world does. But we're different. We believe that God directs your path. We believe we're in the hands of God. And so we use our understanding. We don't lean on it. But we acknowledge him in all our ways trusting that he will, surely will, direct our paths. So today, this morning, your life is in God's hands. And because of that, we have future. 
in a way, you have two futures. You have a future in time and you have a future in eternity. Now, a lot of people doesn't understand this and they don't even get by the first part of that. Your future in time. Northern Ireland has got the highest rate of suicide among young people than anywhere in Europe. The figures are shocking. Unbelievable almost. That there's so many young people who do not even believe they've got a future in time. Never mind eternity. In time. They can't even see tomorrow. They can't see by today. They don't even think they've got a tomorrow worth living for. They can't see a reason to get out of bed in the morning. No future in time, they feel. And sometimes that thought it rankles in their spirit for so long and they get so negative and so depressed and so bad, they decide, I have no future at all. I might as well just end it here now. And young people, by the scores in Northern Ireland, are doing this. And it's shocking. I can't even see a future in time. Can you see a future in time? Do you believe that from here on out, whatever age you are, from here to the end of your life, end time, this time period you're in, do you believe that God's got a future for you? Can you see a future? You may not see the details of it, but do you believe that God's got a future for you? You've got to believe that. That's what gives you confidence and security, a feeling of well-being, knowing that no matter what happens, I'm in God's hands. He's got a future for me. His plans for me are good, not for evil, to give me a hope and a future. Jeremiah says. But then you've got a future in eternity. When time's over and time shall be no more, then you've got a whole future in eternity, the eternity of eternities. Psalm 16 11 says, You will show me the path of life. That's future in time, right here and now. You will show me the path of it. There's a path of life for us now that we're to walk in and be blessed in and to know Christ in. You shall show me the path of life, but in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There's future in eternity. So you've got a future in time and you've got a future in eternity. That's a lot to look forward to, isn't it? That's encouraging, isn't it? And this is why Paul was able to say in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That was speaking about his future in time, which he felt was coming to a close. Then he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to those who love his appearing. That's future and eternity. So, I want you to be encouraged today. I want to be encouraged today. That my future, that your future, that my family's future, that your family's future, is in God's hands. Which is why you should pray for your family continuously, without letting up. Even though they may be living wrong and making wrong choices and decisions, which is hurting them and maybe hurting you, but never give up on them. Because there's a whole future in time, and more so a whole future in eternity.
never-ending eternity that's to be gained. And so this morning, we're in God's hands. No better place to be today than in God's hands, eh? And as far as I can look into my future, I'm in God's hands. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's our future in time and our future in eternity. I don't know about you, but that, that gives me a feeling of security. Not a false sense of it, but a, a true sense that I'm in God's hands. Yes, stuff will happen. Yes, I'll make mistakes. There's times I'll mess up and I'll blunder. But God in his grace and his mercy can forgive. Uh, and he can dust me down and set me on my feet again and say, look, there's your future. Go for it. Head into your future with Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just take these few moments in closing together. Just to prayerfully consider our future in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you made it possible. That you paid that ultimate price for us. To give us this new life. Lord, we were heading for a lost eternity. We were going to hell. Now we're going to heaven. But not only that, but all of this life, your goodness and your mercy shall follow us. And we thank you for it. So Lord, send us out of this house today with confidence, with an assurance that you are with us that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you're with us even to the end. What have I to fear? What have I to dread? Because I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. So we thank you, Lord, that your arms are round about us and they're underneath us. We thank you, Lord, at every moment of the day, your plans for us are good and not for evil. And so we have hope and confidence and assurance and faith that all will be well in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.